All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. Today we're going to be talking about Jesus as our Good Shepherd. And so let's just uh, read verses 1 through 18, John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that when everything else around us fails, whether it's technology, whether it is other people, God, when everything around us is in chaos and when things are just dark and we don't know what's going to happen next. Father, I thank you that we have your word that is constant. Father, I thank you that we can trust and we can put our hope in the promises of your word. And God, I thank you that we have a good shepherd in Christ. So Father, today as we look at what it means for Christ to be our good shepherd, I pray that you would raise our affections, that you would stir in us a new love, and most importantly, Father, a new hope in that good shepherd. Be glorified during this time. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Remember, in order to understand John chapter 10, it's absolutely imperative that we understand John chapter 9, because John chapter 10 is really a continuation of what happened in chapter 9. And John is contrasting what happens in chapter 9 to what is going on, to what he is saying in chapter 10. So let's just do a real quick summary of what happened in chapter 9. 
In chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who had been born blind, right? He spits in some dirt. Uh, he takes the mud, puts it on the man's eyes, tells the man, go wash in the pool. The man goes and washes. He comes back. He, he receives his sight. The people are, of course, amazed about this. They bring the man to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, right? These are the people that were kind of the respected, everyone kind of acknowledged them as their spiritual leaders. The Pharisees begin to question the man. Who did this to you? Were you really born blind? The man tells him, yes, I was really born blind. This man Jesus did it to me. I don't really know who he is. The Pharisees didn't believe him. So what do they do? They go and get the man's parents. They bring his parents and say, is this your son? Was he really born blind? The man and the, the parents, in one sense, kind of drop the ball, right? They say, yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind. But John tells us that his parents were afraid of the Jews, afraid of the Jewish leaders, because they had already kicked people out of the synagogue for confessing Christ as the Messiah, confessing Jesus as the Messiah. So they said, well, he's of age. Go ask him yourself. So they push the Pharisees back on their son. And so the Pharisees go back to the man who had been born blind, and they ask him all the same questions again. And the man's response, he, I mean, it's kind of funny. He's a new Christian, right? He's a new follower of Christ. And so what's he do? He doesn't really, he hasn't been trained in evangelism or evangelism explosion or these, these uh, you know, evangelism techniques. So he just gives an invitation to the Pharisees. He says, do you want to become Jesus' disciples too? Why are you asking me all these questions? Do you want to follow Jesus? The Pharisees respond, no. We are followers of Moses. We are Moses' disciples. But as for this Jesus man, we don't know who he is. We're not going to follow. We're not going to follow him. And uh, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man responds and says, this is an amazing thing. You religious leaders, you people that we look up to, scribes and Pharisees, you don't even know where he comes from. Yet he is the one who healed me, a man born blind. This has never happened since the creation of the world. And the Pharisees respond, you were born in utter sin, and you're going to lecture us, the religious leaders of the day, and they cast him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus begins to engage the Pharisees. And that's when we pick up in chapter 10. And so chapter 10, Jesus is really, he goes for the jugular with the Pharisees, right? He just starts to really sort of go at them in full force. And so Later on, he, he claims to be the good shepherd, but what we're going to look at is what it means for Jesus to be the good shepherd. Because what he's saying is, I am not the Pharisees. I am not the religious leaders of the, of the day. I am the good shepherd. They are bad shepherds. I am the good shepherd. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the good shepherd? The first thing I think it means is that the good shepherd gathers his flock with the authority of God. The good shepherd gathers his flock, gathers his sheep with the authority of God. Let's look at the last part of that sentence first. The authority of God. What do I mean that Jesus gathers his sheep with the authority of God? Look with me in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Look in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep 
did not listen to them. In order to understand this whole analogy, we really got to have at least a basic understanding of sheep herding practices, right? I mean, this is kind of foreign to us, this idea of shepherding and sheep. Uh, None of us probably tend sheep as a business. Um, Maybe some of us have worked in fields or or things like that. But what Jesus is saying here is he, he says, verse 1, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. The way that sheep herding worked in this, in this time period was that there was what's called the sheep fold, which was essentially a big area kind of set apart by a gate or a fence or some kind of wall that kept all the sheep during the night, right? And so there would be all these people that were living in a village, all these different homes, and typically they would all keep their sheep in the sheep fold at night. So you have all of the, so like if I live there and Joe live there, we would have our own sheep, but they would all be in the fold together. Okay? That's going to come into play later. But what Jesus is saying is that instead of going through the door to get to the sheep, which is what the true shepherd does, these Pharisees and religious leaders were climbing over the wall to get into the fold. In other words, they were not the rightful shepherd. But Jesus comes, and Jesus claims, I am the good shepherd. I have entered through the door. This is what Chet preached on last week. The absolute um, authority and exclusivity of Christ. Christ alone has the authority to enter into the fold as the true shepherd. Now, what does this mean? This means that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, right? He is the, the coming king, the one that was prophesied about in all of the Old Testament scriptures. Let me read, from you, uh, read for you from Micah 5.2. It says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. This is a prophecy, right, about the birth of Christ. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. That's a prophecy about the true shepherd who would come. That was foretold about Jesus hundreds of years before this incident happened in John. And there are numerous Old Testament passages that we could go to, prophecies that are pointing us to the one coming who is going to shepherd his people, Israel. The fold, the sheepfold that Jesus is talking about, that the thieves and robbers are jumping into, The fold in this context is the nation of Israel because Jesus is coming as the Messiah of Israel. But he's saying that these religious leaders are forcing their way into the fold. They have climbed over the wall and they are robbing the sheep. They are not the rightful owners. He is the rightful owner. You have passages uh, such as Ezekiel, which is probably, Ezekiel 34, probably the most vivid uh, description of what it means to be a false shepherd. Ezekiel 34 tells us, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? 
you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. This is God. And he's describing the situation. This is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament times where uh, the, the nation of Israel had been scattered because the shepherds, the religious rulers of the day, had failed. They cared more about their pocketbooks. They cared more about gaining influence and um, sort of authority over the people than they cared for the people. And this is exactly what was happening in Jesus' day as well. But Jesus comes with the authority of God. He takes his rightful place as the shepherd of his people. And all of the Old Testament is being brought in here. We have to catch this. This is absolutely crucial to this passage that Jesus is bringing with him all of this Old Testament imagery of shepherding with him. And he's saying, it's all pointing to me. You have um, examples in the Old Testament. Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, right? These are the men that God made the original covenant with uh, that, that he would um, make Abraham the father of many nations, and he would bring all people uh, into uh, into this this community of Israel, and all nations would worship him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all shepherds. Then it comes to Moses. Moses called from the shepherding fields to lead God's people out of Egypt, to lead them out of captivity, out of bondage. Moses was a shepherd. Then we have David. The shepherd king, right? When Samuel went to go anoint David to be king, all of his brothers said, he's out in the fields tending sheep. He comes, they anoint him king, and David, of course, becomes the, the greatest, the most famous uh, shepherd king that Israel has ever known. All of this is meant to point us to the true shepherd that is to come. And his name is Jesus. And this, he claims right here, all the other sheep, have, all the other shepherds, have climbed in over the gate, and they are not the rightful shepherd. I am the true shepherd. But not only does he do this with the authority of God, but he's actually functioning in a certain way. And Jesus is, what he's doing is he's gathering his people, right? Jesus is gathering his flock into one fold. Look in verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He has brought out all his own. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Look down at verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Remember that the fold here that Jesus is talking about is, is Israel. It's the, Jew, it's the Jews, essentially. He has come for the Jews. But what does he say? He's brought in all that Old Testament Im- imagery, right? I am the, the one, I am the true shepherd. I am the Messiah, the, 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 the coming king. But, he says, I have other sheep 
that are not of this fold. I have other sheep that are not of Israel. This is crucial. Jesus is shifting. He's making a shift here, right? There's a shift in the covenant taking place when Jesus comes. He says it's no longer about your national lineage. To be part of God's people is no longer about whether you're circumcised or not. It's no longer about who your father is if you're a son of Abraham. Because I have other sheep who are not of this fold. And I will bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And that's exactly what we see happening in the ministry of Jesus, don't we? We see him reaching out. Just take uh, John chapter 4, a few chapters before this. The woman in Samaria. She was not a Jew. She was hated by the Jews. But Jesus reaches out to her. She comes into his fold. So there's a shift happening, right? In fact, Jesus goes on to say, in, in this gospel and others, that it was never about your national lineage anyway. It was always about faith in God. But, I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus is gathering his flock into one fold, and he's doing this with the authority of God. Jesus came to deliver his people, but since his coming, he has widened the invitation to all people everywhere. At his coming, he began gathering people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, and it has continued up to this very moment. The moment you and I sit here is the moment that Jesus is still gathering his people into one fold. In fact, this is why Redeemer Church exists, right? We are here. This church is being planted because we want to participate in the great in-gathering of the, of the fold of God. We are here because we believe that Jesus has other sheep in this city. We believe that there are other sheep in this city that are just waiting to hear the gospel. And when they hear it, Jesus speaks to them and they will come. He will speak to them effectually and he will bring them into his fold. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we are involved in all of this, these missionary endeavors as a church, individually, things that we've done in the past. That's why we believe in sending people to the nations because there is a great need for people to hear about the shepherd king so when they hear the gospel, they respond in faith, God brings them into his fold. This is a huge, this is a big picture, right? This is a worldwide event that is happening right now and it began right here in John 10. God gathering his fold, gathering his flock. So the question is, how are you involved? Are you involved? Because this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to deliver people from sin and death and to bring them into God's flock to be protected and preserved. Are you participating in that? Are you involved in a local church? Are you involved in missionary endeavors to the nations? What are you doing? Do you spend your money? Do you spend your time? Do you spend your resources on things that will further God's kingdom? Or do you spend them primarily on yourself? I think what we see here when we read this passage, we can't help but see God's heart, the heart of Christ, in delivering people from sin and bringing them into safety. 
And if that has happened to you, if that has happened to me, then what are we doing so that it can happen to others? When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Is the name of Jesus frequently on your lips? Or do you spend more time and energy on worldly pursuits than you do making Christ known to the world? Are you about the Messiah's business? These are questions we have to deal with when we read this passage. The second thing that the Good Shepherd does is he protects and he preserves his sheep. Remember what Jesus is doing, or what John is doing. John is contrasting the way the Pharisees shepherded and the way the Good Shepherd shepherds, right? So, Jesus says in verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Skip down to 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus likens these Pharisees, these religious leaders, as uh, thieves and robbers. They're the ones who come and steal the sheep. But he also says they're also hired hands. In other words, they're just sort of the people that have been hired to pseudo-care for the people. But when the real trouble comes, who are the first ones to flee? The religious leaders. It was pretty much common knowledge in that day that the scribes and the Pharisees and uh, some of the other religious leaders of the day were in cahoots with the Roman government to essentially extort people. Right, So people would give them money, Uh, they had all this authority and power over the people, and so they would use this religion, the Jewish faith, and uh, put all these rules, put all this, this burden on the people, but they would do nothing to care for them, because they were simply, Jesus says, hired hands. They didn't care anything for the sheep. Remember the passage in Ezekiel that we read earlier, what are some of the characteristics of the false shepherds in Ezekiel 34? They did not feed the sheep. They did not strengthen the weak sheep. They did not heal the sick sheep. They did not care for the injured sheep. They did not bring back those sheep who had strayed. They did not seek the lost sheep. They ruled over the sheep with dominating force. They scattered the sheep. They let the sheep wander without direction and without purpose. This is the same thing that was happening in Jesus' day. The religious leaders cared nothing for the sheep. They were simply hired hands. They were self-appointed false leaders. They didn't give a rip about the common people. But here comes Jesus and he says, I am the good shepherd. I feed my sheep. I strengthen the weak sheep. I heal the sick sheep. I care for the injured sheep. I will bring back those sheep who have strayed. I will seek the lost sheep. I will rule over the sheep with care and with love. I will bring back those who have been scattered. And I will not let my sheep wander without direction and without purpose. Because the good shepherd protects and preserves his sheep. The religious leaders of that day were cowards. They were void of conviction. They loved the praise of men and they worshipped the God of money. 
But how does Jesus protect and preserve his sheep? What are some specific ways that Jesus protects and preserves us if we are part of his fold? One way that Jesus protects his sheep is by giving them the Holy Spirit. Look with me in verse 4 and 5. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. When Jesus leads his sheep, when he is in charge of his flock, they know his voice. Remember what I said before, that in the sheepfold, so you have a fold of sheep, and me and Joe live in the town, and Chet. So we all have our own separate sheep, but they're all in the same sheepfold. And so what would happen is the shepherd say, I would go out to get my sheep, to take them out to pasture. So I would walk into the sheepfold, and I would just start calling out for my sheep. And then, just amazingly, my sheep would separate themselves from the rest. And then they would follow me out of the sheepfold into the pasture where they would graze and eat and spend the day. And then Joe would come, Chet would come, they would come, call their sheep, go out to the pasture as well. And so once again, they're all mixing together out in the pasture. The end of the day comes, time to bring them in. I would go out to my sheep, call out to them, and they would recognize my voice. And then they would follow me back to the sheepfold. This is what... This is the practice that happened during this time. And Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And what does he mean when he says his sheep are able to distinguish his voice from the voice of their enemies? I think he means that Jesus speaks to us. Jesus speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. In the same gospel in chapter 14, John says, if you, or Jesus says, John records, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 16 says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but will speak whatever he hears and will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will receive from me what is mine and I will and will tell it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine and this is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. This is Jesus tells us exactly how he communicates to his sheep. He says, the way I'm going to communicate to you, he says, disciples, I'm going to leave you. There will come a time where I'm going to be gone. But it's okay because I'm going to send you the helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will bring to your memory, will bring to your remembrance all of these things that I have said to you. And he will lead you in truth. The way Jesus communicates with his flock, the way he protects us and preserves us by his voice is by giving us his Holy Spirit. And so when we hear the voice of Christ from the pages of Scripture, 
we are able to distinguish that voice from the voice of false teachers. Because Jesus also tells us there will be false teachers that will come. There will be false teachers that will come into this church. You can guarantee it. There will be people, men or women, who will come into our congregation and will seek to divide us. They will seek to teach things that are contrary to God's word. And the way that we will distinguish that teaching from the voice of Christ is because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we are able to differentiate what is true and what is false doctrine. Does that make sense? So one way that Jesus protects and preserves his flock is by giving us the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says it this way. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this is key. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit. There is a spiritual communion that takes place between Jesus and his sheep. And because of that, we are able to understand, we are able to differentiate the voice of Christ from the voice of false teachers. But there is another way, I think, that Jesus protects his sheep. He protects his sheep by his perfect knowledge and perfect providence. Jesus knows the circumstances of our lives and is able to bring about good from any situation. Look with me. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Remember, Jesus is contrasting himself, right? He says the hired hands see the wolf coming. Off in the distance, they see the wolf and they flee. So what does Jesus do? Jesus sees the wolf, but he doesn't flee, right? This is the contrast. Jesus sees the wolf. Jesus is able to see ahead the things that are happening in our lives. He's able to see those false teachers coming. He's able to see those enemies of the gospel, but he doesn't flee. So my question to you is, what happens in your life when the hard times come? If you are a sheep in the fold of God, if you know this Christ, and you, you hear his voice, and you know that he sees things way before they happen to you, where are you putting your hope when the hard times come? Some of you perhaps, I'm sure, in recent days, have just experienced intense trials, intense suffering, maybe the death of a loved one. This, this, maybe you're going through some kind of sickness, or someone in your family is some kind of sickness, all of these things are put in our lives in order to reassure us, in order to point us to the good shepherd because we know that he sees these things way before they happen. 
Some of you perhaps have experienced intense trials. So where do you find your hope when the hard times come? If they haven't come, they will. And so where are you going to put your hope? Are you going to find your hope in other people? Some kind of worldly distraction like video games or or movies or shopping or material possessions or work or sexual pleasure or some kind of addiction? All of these things are what the world puts their hope in, right? When the hard times come, these are the things they turn to. Or do you find your greatest hope Your greatest strength in knowing that nothing escapes the watchful eye of our Good Shepherd. No bit of cancer overtakes anyone's body undetected. No strain of the flu is beyond his knowledge, not even H1N1. No enraged gunman takes him by surprise. No natural disaster, be it hurricane, tornado, flood, earthquake, drought, or famine, ever escapes his plan or purpose. No death, no disease, no job, no lack of a job, no stock market figures, no election, no legislation, no court verdict takes place apart from his knowledge. From the rising of homemade bread to the rising of the sun. From the moving of a mountain to the moving of a molecule, nothing escapes the knowledge of our Good Shepherd. He sees it all. And He has seen it all before the foundation of the world. This is our hope, church. If we, if we can't hope in this, I don't know what we can hope in. If we can't hope in the fact that our Good Shepherd knows the events of our lives and doesn't just know them, has planned them all in order to bring us, in order to sanctify us, to be more like Christ. If we can't hope in that, I don't know what we can put our hope in. But we have a Good Shepherd and He sees the wolf coming. He sees those circumstances. He sees those trials in our lives and he has seen them from before the foundation of the world and he knows he stands before his flock. He leads his flock and he whispers to us, I will be with you. I will be with you through this. So my question is, is he with you? Where is your hope? The last way that Jesus protects and preserves his sheep is that he lays down his life for his sheep. This is all over this passage. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Remember the contrast. What do the hired hands do when the wolf comes? They flee. And the sheep are scattered. But Jesus, 
when he sees the wolf coming, lays down his life for the sheep. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they wouldn't be willing to hand over a dollar to help the sheep. Jesus sheds his own blood. Think about the nature of sheep. Sheep are some of the dirtiest, smelliest, dumbest animals. They really were pretty worthless. Um, they used them for food and for wool. But other than that, I mean, a sheep would, would really, if, without a shepherd, what's a sheep do? It just follows the sheep in front of them, right? They would walk off a cliff if the one in front of them did. Jesus says, I lay my life down for the sheep. The hired hands wouldn't be willing to help. They're the first ones to hit the road when the hard times come. But Jesus says, I lay my life down. Now as, since we are the sheep, since we are the dirty, stinky, rotten, what does it say about us? It reminds us of a truth that is all throughout Scripture, that man is utterly sinful. He is wicked and deceitful. Think of passages like Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Think about the Ten Commandments. Just think about one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. Maybe none of us have committed murder here, right? But Jesus comes and he says, If you get angry with your brother, you're already a murderer at heart. We've broken that one. Another commandment, Thou shalt not steal. How many of us have never stolen anything in our lives? None of us. We've broken that one. And that's only two. We could go through all of the Ten Commandments and find out that we are rebellious, sinful, dirty, rotten people at heart. And we deserve to be punished, don't we? We don't deserve to be led. We don't deserve to have life abundantly that Jesus promises in this passage. We deserve hell. We've broken God's law and we deserve to be eternally punished for our rebellion. But, before the foundation of the world, Jesus saw all of that. He knew all of that was going to happen. So Jesus came and he died on our behalf. Jesus died for his sheep in order to secure their place in his fold. Our place in the fold of Christ is as certain as God's love is for his son. If Christ laid down his life for his sheep, then there is no way that he will let us go. If Christ paid with his life, for us. Then, as the passage says later, my sheep hear my voice, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, verse 28, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Verse 17, for this reason my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
Jesus says, He and the Father are one. When we come into the fold of Christ, we belong to God. And if that is the case, if Jesus has laid down His life for us, then that, church, is our greatest security. That is why we believe in the doctrine of eternal security. Not because we are good enough to sanctify ourselves through the rest of our lives once we are saved, but because we believe that Christ substitution died in our place as our substitute. He died so that we would not have to. He gave His life for our sins. And because of that, we are eternally secure. Because God will not let us be snatched by the enemy. That is our great hope. Lastly, Jesus died so that He could destroy the power of death by His resurrection. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Jesus tells us flat out, I have this authority. The false shepherds, the hired hands, don't have any authority. I have authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I lay down my life. But that's not all. I lay it down so that I can take it up again. See, the death of Christ on the cross is not the end of the story. In fact, it's not even the best part of the story. The best part of the story is that three days later, Christ rose from the dead. And because of that resurrection, He defeated death. He defeated sin once and for all so that His flock and His sheep who are called into His pasture no longer have to fear death. When you look around, it was interesting what happened this past couple weeks. At least I thought it was interesting. With the the, the guy, the gunman at Fort Hood, I'm sure you all heard about, was all over the news, killed um, 12 people, I think. Um, and then the same week was the execution of the D.C. sniper. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. Uh, he was put to death, I think, Tuesday night. Both of those two things were happening really at the same time. And I got to thinking about, I remember when the D.C. sniper event was going on and how just scared out of our minds we were as a nation, right? And when you heard all over the news, stay indoors, don't go out, because this is like a year after September 11, right? We were like, this is another terrorist attack, this is going to be happening all over the United States, everyone stay indoors. There was complete fear gripped our nation, utter fear. Because apart from Christ... When we are outside of the fold of God, we have reason to fear death. When you look around, your friends and family, your co-workers who really are not Christians, they don't really care much about who Christ is or being a Christ follower, they will tell you, probably flat out, they are scared to death of death. But as those who have been called into God's flock... Christ has delivered us from the fear of death. We no longer have that power. That power no longer has any hold on us, any grip on us. 
because Christ has defeated that once and for all by his resurrection. So my question for you today is quite simple. Are you in the flock? Have you been brought into the fold? Christ died for his sheep. He paid the penalty for your sins. And you enter into that flock when you hear the voice of Christ calling out to you and you respond in faith. And so my question for you today is, are you in the flock? And if you are, what are you doing? What are you doing to contribute to this great ingathering of God's people? Why are you putting off joining a church? Why are you putting off being baptized biblically? Why are you putting off obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, your great good shepherd? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 7 and we'll close with this. Jesus promises in John chapter 10 that he, he has come to give life, life abundantly. But it's not just life in this world. Because you see, being part of God's fold, being part of God's flock, there's always something pointing us to something greater. Because this world is not it. There's coming a day when Christ will return and he will gather his flock once and for all into one fold. And he will set up a new kingdom. And this is what John, the same author, tells us is going to happen. Chapter 7, verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me. Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst Anymore, The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is our hope. Our hope that one day all of this suffering... All of the sickness and death that surrounds us constantly will be taken away and we will be set up. We will be joined with God in His kingdom and He will shepherd us for an eternity. It doesn't end here, church. So if you're here today and you're wondering, what is the next thing I could put my hope in? Where am I going to find this satisfaction, this, this hope of eternal life. It's in Jesus Christ alone. And so if you're here today and you have questions about that, you want to talk to someone about that, I'm here, Chet's here, find someone to talk to, talk to about what it means to be in the flock of God. If you're here today and you realize, I need to step it up. You know, perhaps you're here and you've been, 
disobeying. You know, you, you, you are a Christ follower, you are, you are in His flock, but for some reason, uh, you've just been putting things off, you know, you know, disobedience to Christ. Make those things right today. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You that You have not left us without a shepherd. God, I thank You for Christ. God, I thank You so much that we can trust that we have a shepherd who knows our lives. He knows every hair on our heads. He has planned out our lives from before the foundation of the world so that we would reach out for Him. I thank You that suffering and sin and death are not meant to push us away from You, God, but they are meant to remind us that we are desperately in need of a Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Father, I pray for those in this room. I pray that You would stir our hearts, that You would remind us that, Father, You are sovereign and You are loving and You care for Your flock. Be honored during this time. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.